Aliens. What does your mind conjure up? <laughs> All right. Big-eyed, lanky, green dudes on a UFO, E.T., Reese's Pieces, right, maybe? Immigrants that may have crossed a border illegally. Something that is simply foreign to you, alien. The word alien can be used to describe a diverse many things. Have you ever thought to use it concerning things we come across in the Bible? Now, I'm not talking about extraterrestrial phenomena, I mean, as a descriptor, an adjective, alien. Sure, it may seem a bit odd, but as we look at the word today, that's kind of the intention. So today from Romans chapter 3 and 4, we'll come to clearly understand that all right standing before God is based on an alien righteousness alone. All right standing before God is based on an alien righteousness alone. So let's read our text for today, starting in Romans chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 27, and I'm going to read all the way through the end of chapter 4. So starting in Romans chapter 3, verse 27. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one, who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works... He has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? We say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not bef- it was not after but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision, as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised, so that righteousness would be counted to them as well, and to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised." For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, 
not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations, in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope he believed against hope, that he should become the father of many nations, as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God. I lost my place here for a second. Uh, Yeah, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Certain situations in life easily lend themselves to be bragged about. This can often easily be seen with children. From a small sample size, it's not that difficult to be the fastest or the prettiest or the strongest or the funniest or the best video game player. When all you have to compare yourself to are other kids in your class or other kids in your neighborhood or other kids in your grade or other kids in your school, almost inevitably you will find some area that you excel in beyond everyone else that you're comparing to. And when we excel, for many of us, our pride tends to swell. Pride often comes before a fall, but what about while we're still on that mountain of pride? Boasting, a claim of superiority, a judgment, an undeniable comparison that goes in my favor. In a few weeks, the Olympics are coming up, or in a couple Sometime in July. Now those people who stand atop those podiums in the Olympics, those people can claim current athletic superiority. They have been judged to be the best, by the best in the world, against the best in the world, in front of the world. And some take it in stride. Some show their arrogance. Others their gratitude. In the athletic realm, it's easy to measure who's best. But in the spiritual realm, in the spiritual realm, who has superiority? And that's the false question that Paul quickly addresses in our text. He addresses it there in verse 27 in chapter 3 because he's starting to talk about faith. He's starting to talk about those who are declared to be right with God. If you have been declared to be right with God, do you then have room to boast? And Paul's emphatic answer is no. And I think the reason why Paul is so quick here to address the notion of boasting is because he knows where the human heart can naturally gravitate. And he knows especially where the Jewish heart is prone to naturally gravitate. The knowledge that you have been chosen by God, that God has promised to bless you and protect you. This drives many hearts to boast. And you boast because others have not been chosen. Others are not as special as you. 
But really where boasting rears its head is when someone says, look what I have done to prove my status. Look what I've done to earn my status and then keep my status. This is the law of works. It can be either one or both of those things. What can I do or what have I done to earn my status? Or what must I do to keep my status? The lie that we believe is the lie that says, I have, I have contributed to my spiritual status. The lie that we believe is the lie that says, I have contributed to my spiritual status. In the beginning, in the middle, in the end, or all throughout, it doesn't matter. Any contribution you have made to your justification is false. But we believe the lie. Why? Why do we believe that lie? Because if we think we contribute something to it, then we feel like we control it. If you want to be saved, complete steps A through C. If you want to be assured of your salvation, stay away from steps D through F. Helpless. Is there a worse feeling in the world? For us humans, it doesn't get much worse than feeling helpless. In almost any situation, you never want to be helpless. It's like sitting on the bench with a broken leg while your team is in the championship game. Even in times when we are helpless, our brains still often won't let us accept that fact. The law of works paints a spiritual masterpiece over the kindergarten art of our true selves. The law of works says just keep trying. You'll get there. The law of works says don't worry about that little mistake. Just mark over it. The law of work says you've gotten yourself this far. You can keep going. The law of work says believe in yourself. The law of work says just try a little harder. But the law of works is a poor master. And a clear sign that the law of works is present in your life is a boastful spirit. The law of works is simply a false gospel. It's a false gospel because works have no part in your salvation. They have no part in your justification. Your righteousness is an alien righteousness. It knows nothing of your contribution. If you are justified, you are justified by God's grace as a gift. The gift you are given is the imputed righteousness of Christ. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law, Paul says. So what then becomes of the law? What purpose does it serve? As we come to the end of chapter 3, as Paul writes, well, Paul's already told us, through the law comes the knowledge of sin. And here's what Paul means when he says that we uphold the law. We uphold the righteous standard of the law because it does not waver no matter the defendant. The law is true to its judgments every time because it is straight in its measurements. It doesn't lower its standards because you're a Jew, and its standards aren't pushed higher because you're a Gentile. They are the same across the board. And with every single person, there is simply one verdict that the law brings. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. Through the law we are able to recognize God's righteousness. 
And through the law, we are able to recognize our unrighteousness. But through the law, we are unable to obtain righteousness. Your life is found in Christ. Your righteousness is found in Christ. Our hope is in Christ. And now the purpose of the law is to point us to faith in Christ. The law still has a purpose. It helps us to see that our enemy is domestic. Our problems are not foreign to us. They are because of us. They are us. We are the problem. Have you ever thought to yourself, why does the Christian Bible have the Old Testament? Or have you ever heard someone ask, why do Christians still read the Old Testament? I've had this thought before. I've, I've come across the question before. So how do you respond to it? The Old Testament is Christian, is Christian scripture for many reasons. But the main explanation that we get from Romans 4 is that through the Old Testament, we are able to see the role of faith. We are able to see the role of faith before the law. And we are able to see the role of faith in the midst of the law. So here in Romans 4, Paul gives us two examples. One before the law and one after or during the law. Two of the most famous characters in the Old Testament, Abraham, who comes before the law, and David, who was a king under the law. Chapter 4 starts out by continuing to address the topic of boasting and works of the law. But now it's in the life of Abraham. Did Abraham have reason to boast? Was it the works of Abraham, the obedience of Abraham, that brought him righteousness before God? Read verses 1 through 5 again of chapter 4. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God, For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. So think about it this way. You're in your office at work, and your boss wants to talk. So she tells you how great of a job you've been doing lately, and she has got something for you. It's a gift, a token of appreciation from the company for all the long hours that you've worked for the last couple weeks, a couple of balloons, a nice card, 2000 bucks. And you're like, wow, thanks, that's awesome. But as soon as you look harder, you realize it's just a fancy version of your regular paycheck. All she did was give you your paycheck with some pizzazz. Would you still feel as grateful? Well, I wouldn't. (laughs) When you start thinking, but I earned this. This wasn't anything special. Just give me a balloon doesn't make me that much more excited. (laughs) They just gave me what I was due. I think most of us would be confused. If we earned it, if we worked for it, then we deserve it. But what about the people who didn't earn it? What about the people who got $2,000 that didn't do anything to deserve it? That's what you call a gift. A gift is only truly a gift if it is given without prerequisites. 
Take an allowance, for example. A mom and dad tell their kids, we're going to give you an allowance each month. Is that allowance a gift? Well, if there are expectations put on to the allowance, then strictly speaking, no. If the kids have to clean their rooms twice a week and vacuum and walk the dogs regularly, then there are actions associated with the allowance and it is, at least in some capacity, earned or maintained by their obedience. But there may be some parents who give their kids an allowance with no strings attached. You're my kid and I want you to be able to pick out your own clothes and buy them when you're at the mall or go to the movies with friends and buy yourself some popcorn while you're there. Every month, no matter how good the grades are, no matter how clean your room is, the allowance comes consistently still. And maybe, just maybe, sometimes we view God's grace toward us like that first kind of allowance. God will begin to show me grace if I do enough good things. He'll give me more grace if I show that I'm being obedient to his commands. When I show him how holy I am, he'll love me that much more. He'll bless me. My allowance will come. But you and I are not the ones who judge whether we deserve God's grace. You and I are not the ones who can earn an allowance from God or maintain an allowance from God. And Abraham, way back in Genesis, is the first example of this. God called Abraham when Abraham was a pagan. God chose Abraham when Abraham had done nothing to deserve God's favor. All Abraham did was believe God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And counted here is an accounting term. On Abraham's spiritual bank statement, there are only two columns. Everything that we earn, everything that we deserve is in one column. And that column is red. And if you're not familiar with accounting, that means you're in debt. Red is negative, not good. And so the ledger is stacked against him, against us. But all of that red can be wiped off the books. And it's wiped off the books only one way, by faith. By faith. Abraham believed God. Specifically, Abraham believed God's promise to him. That's what verses 13 through 21 talk about. Though Abraham had every physical reason to think God was full of it, yet he still believed that God would do what God said he would do. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That that is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. What is faith? Believing God in his promises. The promise given to Abraham was before the law. It was even before the sign of circumcision, which I said approximately a hundred times in our text in Romans chapter 4. Right? It says he received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well. And to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. So you can be circumcised 
and be unrighteous. You can be uncircumcised and be unrighteous. You can be circumcised and righteous, and you can be uncircumcised and righteous. Isn't it strange to think that Abraham, the father of the Jews, had righteousness counted to him when he was uncircumcised? Before Abraham ever really had the chance to do any good works, righteousness was counted to him. When the only thing that Abraham had done up to that point in his life was lawless deeds and sin, God accepted his faith and counted it to him as righteousness. This is true as early as Genesis, before the covenant was made with Abraham. And it is true in the middle of Israel's history, as King David writes about in the Psalms, that's quoted here in verses 7 and 8 in chapter 4. Verses 7 and 8 in our text. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Notice the word count there in that quote in verse 8 from Psalm 32. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Who does the counting? The accounting. God. He accounts for faith and he accounts for sin. Those are the options set before us. We are all in the red with sin. So how can we get over into the black? What is faith for us now? Let's read again verses 20 through 25 in our text and see. Because Paul doesn't miss the opportunity to bring his argument into the present. Verses 20 through 25 in chapter 4. No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. All right standing before God is based on an alien righteousness alone. If it's not my actions that produce the righteousness that is counted to me, then it is foreign to me. It is alien to me. It is an alien righteousness. The righteousness that was credited to Abraham's account? Alien. The righteousness that was credited to David's account? Alien. The righteousness that was credited to Paul's account? Alien. It was not their own that they earned. If you believe the God who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, that he delivered Jesus up to die on account of your trespasses and raised him for your justification, then you too will be credited with Christ's righteousness. Just as it was counted to Abraham as righteousness, so too your faith in Christ will be counted to you as righteousness. Do you have to work for it? No. 
Do you have to prove it? No. Do you have to keep it in your own power? No. If you work for it, then it becomes the righteousness of you. The righteousness of Nathaniel. The righteousness of Korah. The righteousness of Carol. The righteousness of Stephen. But what we need is an alien righteousness. The righteousness of Christ. There is no other firm foundation upon which we can stand. My hope is built on nothing less, we'll sing in a minute, than Jesus' blood and righteousness. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. This is the way of faith. The only way. It's an alien way. You may not believe in aliens, but I pray that you believe in an alien righteousness for yourself. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the way in which you have given to us the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ, of his righteousness that all we have to do is trust you, is believe you, that Jesus' righteousness can be credited to my account, that all the red, all the sin, all the evil and wrath that I have deserved and earned can be taken away And instead, my account could have put on it the righteousness of Jesus Christ. God, you are the one who is able to make this happen. Because of the great love with which you've loved us, because of your grace and mercy toward us. We are able to stand before you forgiven, justified, righteous. So God, help us to stop trusting in ourselves. God, we need your spirit to help us to see all the times in our lives when we are trying to prove something that cannot be proven. When we are trying to prove ourselves before you, when we are trying to earn your favor, when we are trying to earn more grace toward us. God, help us to see in those times how nothing we do is ever able to come close to meeting your expectations. But God, Jesus Christ has stepped in in the gap. He has lived the life that we could not. He has died the death that we deserved, and so he has taken our place, and you have put his righteousness onto our accounts. Help us to trust that. Help us to live in light of that truth. Help us to lean wholly on Jesus and his righteousness alone. We pray these things in
the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.